Easter is one of the two most important dates on the Christian calendar. There's Easter and there's Christmas. Christmas is when God broke through into history, broke through into human experience. Easter is when Jesus rose from the dead and fulfilled the promise that mankind was looking for ever since they were evicted from the Garden of Eden. You'd think that Easter would be a a bigger deal than what it is. I don't know how many of you have Easter plans. It probably revolves around some family getting together, eating ham on this Jewish-based holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Am I getting a picture right here? Um, commercially, Commercially, it doesn't stack up to Christmas. Christmas, you've got, you know, all the bells and whistles you've got from Santa Claus to elves and, and, and all kinds of gifts and presents. And, and then we, you know, Jesus, a baby, everyone loves babies. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Halloween's a big one. Let's not go there this morning. And there's Mother's Day. Who doesn't love Mother's Day? Who doesn't buy stuff on Mother's Day? And then, I mean, even Father's Day is bigger than Easter. And, and you know how tough it is for Father's Day. It's like, uh, you know, Father's Day. Yeah, we're, we're, we're glad. Yeah, we're, we're. Anyway, what day is Monday? What, what's, you know, let's get back to work. Thanksgiving is a good one. But Easter is really, okay, they're doing something out here that involves a lamb. Don't everybody look. <laughs> it's Easter. It looks like fun. Anyway, where was I? Uh, Easter. It's tough to make Easter a big commercial success. I mean, think about it. Um, Dress up and go to church. You know, I dressed up. Um, There's only so much money that goes into this. Uh, Then you have um, Easter dinner with the hams or whatever else you want to eat. But you don't eat like Thanksgiving, all right, or Fourth of July. I mean, a- ask, ask guys like Grant who, who drives for Four Seasons and, and the run up to Fourth of July, the run up to Thanksgiving, he's putting in all kinds of extra hours because people want vegetables to go along with their whatever else they're having at Thanksgiving and, and, and uh, uh, the Fourth of July. Easter, well, yeah, Easter. Uh, you can focus on the kids, try to sell, you know, candy and painted eggs, but most kids would rather paint their own eggs, and there, there's only so much you can do with that. There's not a whole lot of, uh, of uh, profit margin in painted eggs. Uh, what's that? Chocolate crosses. I just learned about that this morning. I, I was thinking about the chocolate bunnies that we had when we were kids. You know, chocolate bunnies and... and uh, 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 things like that. I mean, it's, it, it's not even like on the same day of the year, every year. It just jumps around. And you can never really pin it down until suddenly it's, oh, Sunday is Easter. And, and if some pastor isn't on top of things, you know, the whole church misses it. 
until they show up Easter Sunday and discover that's what it is. It's, it's, it's tough. I don't know how many of you are in sales, um, Tanner. But let me tell you something. You, you, may want, you, you may not know this, but it's really, really tough to sell an empty tomb. I mean, there are people that sell cemetery plots. I don't know how many of you invite them over for a sales pitch. You used to do that, Randy? <laughs> a short period of time. Yeah, th- those are not the salespeople you most want to have come over and talk to you about someday. <laughs> All right? I mean, it's tough to sell an empty tomb, especially oh, in comparison to... to all these other wonderful holidays. And then, of course, we sort of get it turned around. It's hard to really get this story straight. One of the great stories that uh, I, I love is, is uh, uh, a Sunday school class. A, uh, about a four-year-old girl was hearing the teacher talk about Easter. And uh, the teacher asked the class, does anyone know what today is? And, and one of the friends said, it's Easter. Today is Easter. And, and the teacher said, what does that mean? And this four-year-old girl put up her hand, and she had an answer. She said, uh, Easter is when Jesus comes out of the grave. And if he sees his shadow, <laughs> we got it turned around. It's hard to remember the details sometimes. We know that it's about Jesus dying and, and, and resurrection and those kinds of things. So this morning, what I'd like to do is read through the Easter story. I'm going to be dipping into Matthew and John. You can follow along on the screen. And uh, we have that. You can follow on the screen uh, as as I'm reading through it. Because I think there are times when it's good for us to just sit back and just read the story. Read it from Scripture. And the story goes like this. The next day, the one after preparation day, The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. We're worried. We're concerned. We don't know what could happen. This could really backfire on us. After three days, I will rise again, Jesus said. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Let's make sure that nothing happens until after the third day. If something happens after day three, oh well, at least we can say, he said three days, it was four. All right, I mean, this has is, is got to get into people's minds how they were setting, staging this thing. So give the order For the tomb to be made secure until the third day. There's a good chance his disciples may come and steal the body. You know what kind of people follow Jesus? (laughs) They're the most likely people to steal stuff. And we've got to be careful about this. They might just steal his body too. Can't trust them. Christians haven't always had great reputations. And mostly it's because of what our lives were before we became Christians, and that's still hung over our heads, and we permit that to be hung over our heads. We don't necessarily recognize that. Once we've been forgiven, it's forgotten. 
and that those stories, rather than shame, are stories of victory. At any rate, there was this, they just had this idea that the disciples were the kind of people that would likely do this. And steal the body and tell the people that he had been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. In other words, if people are convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, they'll just take over. That's it. That's the last thing we want. So Pilate answered, take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. That sounds really nice, but you've got to imagine what the guard was. The pictures that we have usually have this uh, angel or angels and, and the empty tomb and, and, and no guards around. Or if there's some play, usually there's some guard standing off to the side. Now, they, they, they were ready and waiting. They were spoiling for a fight with the disciples. They knew who the disciples were, and they were ready for them. Now, that, that's the picture. We know that there was a an earthquake and so forth. But let's read that story starting here in verse 1 of Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up from where they were standing, up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Move it if you can. Uh, shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the women. There is nothing to fear here. Okay. They were so frightened they couldn't move. It's not like they ran away and missed this whole thing. They were witnesses other than the ones we usually imagine. The guards were frozen in place. They saw, they heard. Usually when we think about the story, we think about the guards taking off and, and abandoning the tomb. No. They were just frozen into place, scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the women. There's nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He's not here. He was raised just as he said, come and look at the place where he was placed. That's what the guards heard. That's what they saw. It's a quandary for the guards, and we can talk about that some more, but let's continue the story. Now get on your way quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That's the message. The women, deep and wandering, full of joy, lost no time in leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples. Then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. <laughs> just, 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 just put yourself. Good morning. Oh, I see. When you read through it, 
it, it, it sort of hits you a little differently. I mean, they're taking off. They're, they, they heard what the angel said and said, good morning. How are you doing? Mighty fine day. Small talk. Getting the, get, getting the ball rolling. They fell to their knees, embraced his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus said, you're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. Go tell my brothers that they are to go to Galilee, and I'll meet them there. She ran at once to Simon Peter. This is from John chapter 20. It's a portion in between here that Matthew doesn't cover. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, breathlessly panting. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. What was the theory that the religious leaders had? That the disciples would be the ones to go and take the body from the tomb. The disciples, the women disciples and those who, the, the male disciples that went to see the tomb, they operated on a different assumption. Somebody else did this. There's a plot of some kind. There's something going on that isn't right, that isn't good. They didn't jump to the conclusion that, oh, Jesus is alive. They're like, somebody is messing with the body of Jesus. What on earth are they doing desecrating the body of this teacher that we followed for the last three years? That would have been their worry, their concern. We don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. In case you think I'm being a little sacrilegious with the Easter story and adding some things in here, uh, basically John was saying, here in the middle of going to see the tomb, in the middle of this Easter story, I'm faster than Peter. All right? He's bragging in, in, in a nice sort of way. Uh, that's one of the nice things about when you write, you can edit, and it sounds a little bit better than if it just blurts out. Anyway, stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Huh. I always wondered who folded that. Did Jesus get up and fold it himself or? Were the angels helping him out to make him look good? I, I don't know. That's uh, just think. Just stay in the story here. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, he keeps emphasizing this, doesn't he? <laughs> Went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. Meanwhile, the guards had scattered. This is back in Matthew 28. But few of them went into the city and told uh, but a few of them went into the city and told the high priest everything that had happened. What did they tell the high priest? An angel came. The angel said this. This is what happened because they saw it all. They heard it all. They were witnesses. And there were enough witnesses that according to Jewish law, it would have been good enough for two or three of them, the number that was needed, to make the case and be proven. Okay, so this was an issue. 
at that moment. They called a meeting of the religious leaders and came up with a plan. They took a large sum of money and gave it to the soldiers, bribing them to say, his disciples came in the night and stole the body while we were sleeping. That would have been easy enough to track. You give several soldiers a large amount of money and they start spending it, you, you, you realize that they got some money somewhere, somehow, that wasn't their normal income. I mean, there's it's all this stuff that is so easy to trace. They assured them, if the governor hears about your sleeping on duty, we will make sure you don't get blamed. You can keep your job. Take all this money. Just shut up. Make up a story. All you have to do is lie about what you saw and what you heard. There's a deal. The soldiers took the bribe and did as they were told. So what do you do with an empty tomb? We see several different responses, several different reactions to the empty tomb. And, and I want to put a few out there that may be helpful to us depending where we are on our faith journey. First of all, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you believe like Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, Joanna, and the other women who followed Jesus, if you believed that, if unlike the other disciples, you had the faith of the women disciples at work in your life, it fills you with joy and causes you to worship. What did they do when they recognized Jesus? They fell at his feet. They began to worship him. That's the reaction for those of us who believe. These are women who had stayed with Jesus. They had stayed throughout the crucifixion ordeal. They had ministered to Jesus in his life. They're the ones that provided financially for the ministry large sums of money to keep Jesus and the male disciples fed and on the road. And there they were again at the tomb, at his death, ready to anoint his body, ready to do what was necessary for things to be done right. Mark tells us they brought uh, uh, fragrant spices to anoint the dead body of Jesus. Go and look at the story. We have it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark says they brought fragrant spices to anoint the body of Jesus. All kinds of reasons why you would do that. Maybe to mask the odor of a dead body. They sure didn't expect him to be alive. You don't take fragrant spices to anoint a dead body. Because you expect, if you expect it to smell, you expect that that person is still dead, you know? Um, they went to say goodbye. They went to pay their last respects. They were fulfilling the customs of the day in relationship to someone who had passed away that was important in their lives. If you're struggling with your faith in Jesus... The empty tomb also has 
significance. It's like Simon Peter and the other disciples who were struggling. You remember them. The ones who, the 11 that were still left. On the night Jesus was arrested, they fled for their lives. Peter came back and then denied Jesus three times. Of the 11, only John is recorded as having been at the crucifixion. What changed? These, these outwardly brave, courageous men who were acting in such cowardly fashion, coming back from that cowardice and becoming courageous martyrs, what changed? The empty tomb for, tomb for those who are struggling with their faith means that the relationship with Jesus can be restored. It didn't matter that they ran away. It didn't matter that they denied Jesus. It didn't matter that all those things had happened. The empty tomb, the empty tomb meant you can start over. There's a new life. That season is over. You don't have to stay there any longer. A symbol of a new relationship, not like it had been, but in a better way. Or if you don't want the empty tomb to disrupt your lifestyle, think of the guards that were guarding the tomb. Remember the storyline with them? You adopt the story to suit your situation. You take the facts and shape them. The soldiers saw and heard the same things that the women did. What a difference in reaction and response. The difference was the soldiers placed their agendas above the truth. And when we meet people that are doing that, it's difficult to have conversations with them. The one thing we can do is keep taking it back to the truth, the truth, the truth. But most people who would place their agendas above the truth tend to be delusional about what the truth is, and they will claim that their agenda is truth. We see that in this story. They negotiated the truth for self-protection, for selfish gain. They chose to keep their jobs and accept the bribe over acting on what they knew was true. Our bias, what we want, the way we see things changes the way we talk about it, the way we perceive it, the way we declare things. There's a football story that fits in here, and I don't know, Jason may, have, may remember this one if I told it before. But the story goes like this. There were two boys playing basketball in Philadelphia. And, okay, Philadelphia sports, just so you know the page I'm on. And one of the boys was attacked by a rabid Rottweiler. 
the other boy thought, you know, it was very quick uh, thinking. He, he, uh, he, he ripped a board off a nearby fence, wedged it down the dog's collar, twisted it as hard as he could, and saved his friend's life. A sports reporter happened to be going by, and he said, ooh, there's, there's a great story. And he got out his, uh, his pen and his pad and began to uh, interview the, uh, the boy that had uh, been heroic. And he rushed over and interviewed the boy. And he started writing before he asked him, uh, a young Eagles fan saves friend from vicious animal. There's a headline that'll sell in uh, Philadelphia. And, 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 and the little young boy said, uh, but I'm not an Eagles fan. <laughs> so he, he scratched out the part that said Eagles fan. And he wrote, uh, uh, a 76ers fan saved a friend from a vicious animal. And the boy said, I'm not a Sixers fan either. And so he, the, 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 this took the uh, sports uh, reporter by surprise. And he said, this is Philadelphia. I mean, obviously, what other team, what, what other sports angle can we have here? And he asked, well, what sports team do you follow? And the boy said, the Ravens. And so the reporter took his pad and he turned over another page and he began to write, Hoodlum kills faithful family pet. <laughs> As for you, Jason. Our perspective changes how we view things. And that's not only true in this story about I just told. But it's true of the story that we read, the Easter story. It makes all the difference. Our bias makes a difference. And the fourth thing is if you don't want if you do not want the empty tomb to disturb your worldview, like the religious leaders, pretend it didn't happen. Ignore it. Act like nothing ever happened. Like Whatever it was, was just made up. It's an odd one. I mean, it, 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 this one is really, really, really odd. You have these religious leaders. All of their lives they have been reading, studying, waiting for, expecting the Messiah. They have the report, not from the disciples of Jesus. They have a report from their own guards that they were paying, who when they reported back to these religious leaders, told them what happened, and if they would have put that together with all that they had studied throughout their lives, they would have known Beyond a shadow of doubt, Jesus is the Messiah. It all lined up. That's what it was. But there were some issues. There were envious. Envy does all kinds of things to people. They were envious of the miracles and the crowns and the recognition and for 
the effectiveness that Jesus had in teaching and the way people were drawn to him because of his compassion. They were threatened. They were threatened. Envy does that to people. It can even take the most pious people, the best behaved folks, and turn them into a lynch mob. Envy does that. They reason that sacrificing an innocent man for the well-being of the status quo was worth it. That's why they arranged for the crucifixion. That's the mindset. That's the only truth they were able to process. And when the soldiers reported the empty tomb and they reported what they had seen and what they had heard, they felt threatened again. They preferred to cover over the greatest thing that they had been praying for and waiting for and teaching about to avoid admitting that they were wrong. So what should we do with the empty tomb? As I read through this story, it lines up with some of the things that I'm seeing. As we're coming out of quite the year. It goes back March of 2020. When life got turned inside out, upside down, where we began a season. A year and a month. Where the status quo, where our life revolved around... What do you think about COVID? That became our organizing principle as far as who got together with whom and what we could do and not do. And, and no matter where you came out on that continuum of how to respond to it, we all suffered some of the same thing. Isolation. Isolation. Disorientation. And so many other things. Depression and anger. and A lot of stuff that we would prefer not to even admit that we struggled with. But let's be honest. It was tough. And we got caught up. And, and there were days when all of us, if we're honest, were either sick and tired of it all or wanted to go hide someplace or just couldn't handle life at various levels. And this morning I want to declare that we're coming into a new season, a season of life. That it's not just an Easter message to have an Easter message. It's an Easter message because I, I believe we need to declare that we're coming into a new season, a season of life, not death. I'm not saying go crazy. 
If the sign in the store says, wear a mask, wear a mask, don't get arrested. I, I can't even come to see you in prison if you get arrested for that. Okay, so, so just, just, just behave, all right? Just, let's, let's not go crazy. But let's, I want to declare a season of life because God saw us through this past season. But he's moving us into something that is so much greater than we can imagine right now. And so what, when I see the empty tomb, there's several things that I just want to encourage you with. First, do not be afraid. He's alive. And we, it's easy to say he's alive. But what that means is we have hope. We have comfort. We are not alone, no longer isolated. We are part of this life-giving stream that comes from God through Jesus. The second thing is, we read, come and see. The women disciples went to the other disciples, the male disciples, and they said, come and see, come and see, come and see. There's nothing to hide. What God is doing is real. God has been at work. It's just been hard sometimes in this past year to, to, to wrap our brains around how much God has been doing and how God has blessed and the healings that have happened because we've just been... Huh, out of it. Overwhelmed. You see, the empty tomb, give, tomb gives us victory over death and the grave. It means that you are forgiven. It means that you can have a new life, a new beginning. It means that you are a new creation. It's a new start. And so this morning, as I declare life in a new season, that's the basis for it. It's not just a nice Easter message, although this could be a nice Easter message, depending what the circumstance and the context is that we're, I would be preaching it. But this is a declaration of life for a new season. New life, new beginnings. And the third thing is, we read, go and tell. This is for everybody. This is for everybody. It means that God has a purpose for our lives. It means that God has a purpose for our church. It means that God has a purpose for those who are not part of this church. It means that God has a purpose for people we haven't met yet. God has a purpose for those who don't even know who Jesus is at this point. So today, I declare that we're entering a new season. It's a season of life, not a season like we've had this past year and a month. Some of you may remember May of 2020. I made a prophetic declaration about a bubble over Good Shepherd. Remember that? We become comfortable in that bubble. God is blessed. God has, God has blessed. I don't know about you, but every time I stick my head out from under that bubble and I engage with those who have not had that, it's almost difficult to talk about 
how God has protected, how God has blessed, how God has gone before us. All that God has done is all true and real, but outside of this bubble, it's pretty miserable. Am I right? I mean, it's tough. People have had their lives turned inside out, upside down. They feel ripped apart. They feel isolated, and their disorientation has caused them to make some, some decisions that, that are just unbelievable, unbelievably bad. There's a reason why there's been such a need for food shelter and I mean this is outside the bubble people are hurting people are suffering and today I want to make another prophetic declaration I shared this with the elder team and it resonated with their spirits and some of it grows out of some other prophetic words that have been passed on to me over the last a month or so. There are three things that I believe are coming for us. Okay? This is, this is, you write this down the same way that you did about the bubble in 2020. It's either going to happen or it won't. These are things that aren't, there aren't a whole lot of, it's not a, you know, I, I, I can't make a lot of excuses on this one. The first one is we will extend the bubble well beyond Good Shepherd. We've been so blessed. And yet I step back and I, I, I think about family members. I think about friends. I think about others with whom I engaged more so prior to this year than I have this past year who have not been under that bubble. I think about the region in which we live. And I believe that God wants to extend that bubble. He wants us to, that to be extended over others in our lives. And he wants us to extend that beyond what we have considered to be our region over the last number of years. To extend it over others. To cover them as well. I'm going to be coming back the last next uh, several weeks, and we're going to flesh this out some more, but just, just to give you these three, three items. The second one is we will have a new impact in the nations. Even during this past year, God has been stirring some things in, in, uh, in the hearts of different people about the nations and investing in the nations, and, and we're seeing some new things happening, Walter and Pakistan and some others, that, that are just, just doesn't happen just any every day. In the middle of the pandemic. And I'm believing that as we move through the year, this will flesh out some more in the fall when our international partners are visiting us and we have a chance to interact with them. And, and then beyond that, when Rebecca and I have a chance to travel again and to be in those places, we will have a new impact in the nations. God has been stirring that about kingdom investment in the nations. And we've been doing that, but there will be an increase coming. And just be ready. 
be ready. And the third one is, we're going to get a place other than this one. See, now that's, that's the one you'll remember, and, and, and that's why I held it for last, because it would have overshadowed the first two. We need it, and it's time. I shared this in a couple of settings, and the first question that usually is asked is, well, how much money do we have in our accounts to buy a building? Well, um, the bad news is we gave it all away. The good news is God is replenishing it. Back uh, eight or so years ago when we took a run at buying a building and it fell through and it was just devastating. Uh, it was just a devastating moment for us as a church to have that place fall through. We had the money, had money in the bank account. First thing we did was we took $18,000, went to Mexico and invested that in a building, a key property in Mexico City. As an elder team, we said, we're going to keep investing in facilities, in the kingdom, in the nations. And every time we did that, dozens of places, six figures plus, the only thing we asked for was pray for us to get a facility. You know, there are people in other nations that have been praying for us for seven, eight years to get a place, a facility that would be our own. We're still praying. I just got several messages this past week saying, we're praying for you. We're still praying. For I'm like, wow. The nations are praying for us to have that. And God is replenishing I mean, that's that's a, the, the amazing thing, even during all the economic stuff that, uh, that we've been through in the last uh, six, seven years. God has been replenishing even as we have been spending it all. If we can't buy one, let's help others buy some. You know, I mean, let's invest. It's a kingdom investment. And so this morning, I just want to put something out here for your response. It's a practical step of faith. I've gotten a couple of prophetic words that aligned with what I was sensing in my spirit, and the elders also agree, so it makes it really nice. We want to have a target of raising $500,000 to go toward a building. Now, before you start backing up and saying, oh, no, capital campaign. If you've been through capital campaigns, it, it, you, you, it, this is not what we're going to do here. All right? Here's the deal. This is a practical step of obedience. God's going to provide it. And his people are going to be part of it. And my encouragement is to seek the Lord as to what your part could or should be. And let's, that's, that's it. You'll have no pressure. We're going to have pledges. We're not going to print brochures. We won't have donor events or kickoff event or that kind of thing. We're just going to wait and see what God does. Now, you look around and say, where is that coming from? God provides. That's been the basis for everything that we've done here and continue to do here, and we're not going to change that. And so this is simply an open invitation to step into what God has promised if you believe what 
I'm hearing, what some others are hearing, that it's time, it's now. The Lord will provide. Not just the finances, but the place. And just give as the Lord directs you. Not as anybody else encourages you or tells you. Just as the Lord directs you. People are praying for us. Even in this region, because of what Good Shepherd represents among the churches here in this region, there other pastors are praying for us. In fact, there's a, a group of pastors that meet weekly to pray, and, and a number of times they have said, and I believe this, when Good Shepherd gets a place of its own, something's going to break in this region. It's because of what we represent, because of what... God wants to do in this region and what our role is and will be. So I'm just putting that out. Seek the Lord. Give as He directs. We have a good bookkeeper. She'll keep track. We'll let you know. But it's time. Next week, the next several weeks, I'm going to come back and we're going to look at these three areas. Place. Extending that bubble in the nations. What is it that God is drawing for us? The picture that we can access now. And then we'll enjoy the ride together. Worship team can come up. I invite you to stand as we worship, as we pray together. Lord, I thank you that you speak to us. Lord, I confess that over the years we have complained about so, so many things. This past year, Lord, we complained a lot. And we confess, Lord, that you just confess that. Confess, Lord, that we have complained about facility and the difficulty that has been, and confess that as well. We confess, Lord, that we have enjoyed the bubble that you have put over us, and we've enjoyed it for ourselves. And Lord, today we thank you for a new season. Lord, we commit ourselves to be part of extending the bubble over others, covering others. We commit ourselves to invest in the nations a way that you've called us from the beginning of our ministry here. And Lord, we receive the blessing that you're going to pour out, the breakthrough that it will be when we're able to Find that place that we can call home. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the way that we've all done our best through this past season. But Lord, we really, 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 really desire that new season of life season of life, a season of investment in ways that make a difference for your kingdom.
kingdom in this world a season where we can proclaim and declare your goodness in ways that we have held back from during the past year. So this morning we worship you. And we bless your name. 